Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello everybody and welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Today we have one of my favorite guests on. We have Christopher Chung on and he is the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. And, and Christopher, I was thinking perhaps we probably ought to start off with Tell us about the genesis of this public-private partnership that uh, now does the economic development for North Carolina, because it's it's different than we used to do it uh, 10 years ago. Uh, what's the genesis, and, and how's it working out? Well, first of all, always good to be back with you, Don. Uh, thank you for having me on. As we get close to, to our ninth anniversary, uh, I always enjoy telling a bit of the story of how the organization came about. It's not a complicated story, but basically nine years ago, the state, including then the, the then governor as well as the legislature, they were looking at how other states approach this very competitive business of economic development, especially the, the, the business of attracting new industry to the state from outside. Business recruitment is what we call it, but that's always been the most competitive aspect of economic development uh, as you go across the different states. And so I think there was a lot of benchmarking of different models at the time all of the state's economic development functions sat within the North Carolina Department of Commerce. But as has been the case with other states, some states had moved their economic development functions either entirely out of the public sector or taken part of those functions and removed them out of the, the public sector and put them into public-private partnerships, nonprofit organizations. And that's essentially what happened here in North Carolina. The long story short here is that the EDPNC was created as a nonprofit to take over a number of economic development responsibilities that used to sit within a state agency, i.e. the North Carolina Department of Commerce, which still exists today, still does a lot of important work on behalf of the state. They are our most important partner in the work that we do. Uh, it's just the things that we took over on behalf of the state are more of the sales, marketing, and business development types of roles. So business recruitment, is something that we are responsible for on behalf of the state. Tourism promotion is also one of those responsibilities, as are some other specialized economic development functions like existing industry support, international trade assistance, and even some small business counseling. So all that sits over in the ADPNC today. We work under contract for the North Carolina Department of Commerce to do those things. And we are able to leverage private sector resources as a nonprofit to generate more essentially financial capacity to approach our mission. And these private sector companies, be it Duke Energy, Bank of America, Martin Marietta, there's a, a host of North Carolina companies that have contributed funding to us. And that extends the reach of our mission to do this important work on behalf of the state. And that's that's one of the unique advantages of this public-private model that North Carolina moved to nine years ago. Uh, basically, as I understand, you answer to a 17-member board? Uh, 18, actually, if you include the Secretary of Commerce. She is on there ex officio because we are that contractor to the Commerce Department. Uh, very important to have that linkage with Commerce through uh, her uh, seat on the board of directors. Now, how are these uh, uh, board members elected and uh, what's the process there? Yeah. So unlike a lot of nonprofit boards, the way that the legislation which created the EDPNC spelled things out, again, we are a separate of state government. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, but we do operate with a little bit of um, 
tie back to state legislation that governs things like our board composition. And so the way the legislation spells it out is the governor gets nine of those 17 appointees, the speaker gets four, and the Senate president pro tem gets four. So they're not nominations or elections in the traditional sense of a lot of nonprofit boards might be. These are actually appointments. They are among the state boards and commissions that the governor and the legislature uh, often you know, have lots of appointees for, and, and in our case, those 17 appointed members come uh, from the governor as well as the two chambers of the legislature. Well, I think it's always interesting that uh, you get so much support from existing business because in a way, existing companies could probably look at uh, new companies coming in as competition. In this labor environment, I would not be surprised if that's even more of a thought that's on the mind of these existing companies. And that that's true everywhere you go in this country, right? When when companies open up the newspaper and they see that the state has attracted a major new employer right next door in their backyard, yes, there are it would be a fair question for existing employers to say, well, how come I don't get those incentives for my growth? Or what is the state going to try to do to ease the competition for workforce? Again, especially in the kind of labor environment that we're experiencing right now. Uh, all that said, I think every company ultimately understands the need to further diversify the economic base of North Carolina. And, and that's exactly what's happening every time we successfully convince a new company to come into the state. Uh, it's really no different than a business. A business has to take care of its existing customers for sure, but it's also to grow. You've got to go out there and continue to bring new customers in through the door. You just don't want to go either or because uh, an either or approach doesn't really solve things. It just has to be a good blended approach to both of those things, which is why we have a team that not only does business recruitment, we also have a team that's focused on meeting with existing employers and understanding what their barriers to growth may look like, and then hopefully connecting them with the kinds of resources that can help the existing employers overcome some of those hurdles so that they continue to grow, add jobs, and make investment in North Carolina. Any economic development outfit, state, regional, local, has to do both of those things well, business recruitment as well as the support of existing employers. Well, it's, it seems it, uh, it's hard to believe you've been here almost 10 years. It, time flies when you're having fun, I guess. It's just, it, it really <laughs> is hard to believe. I mean, we're eight and a half years into living in North Carolina. I, I got married uh, here in North Carolina. I bought, uh, bought my first home, and now we have two little girls who are North Carolina natives, which is all kind of crazy. Well, we, we want you to stay an, another 30 or 40 years and, and make this your permanent home, and I and uh, I can't think of a better place to live. Can you? I cannot. No, it. it uh, I mean, we've, we've drank the Kool-Aid for sure. It, it really is everything that we thought it would be when we first came to visit uh, during the interview process. I, I'd always heard great things about North Carolina, and it's no surprise that the state continues to attract people from outside its boundaries uh, who are seeking a, a better quality of life, a more affordable quality of life, uh, natural beauty, lovely weather, a great economy. I mean, all those different things that appeal to us as individuals, North Carolina offers in spades. And that's one of our biggest selling points as we're out there trying to attract companies who are going to go to where they think they'll have the easiest time attracting talent to come work for them. Well, we want to talk about uh, some of the the companies that you are uh, that you have brought in, and uh, companies that are uh, currently in the state of building. 
uh, and also uh, whatever you can tell us about uh, the future that uh, you're looking at. I know this is highly competitive and uh, there's a lot of things that you can't talk about and we understand that. But tell me a little bit more about your staff. How many people work in your department uh, or actually your organization, the partnership? And are, are they all located in, in Raleigh? We are not a large organization, especially when you look at how diverse the functions are that we're responsible for. Again, everything from tourism promotion to business recruitment to film and TV attraction to, to trade and exports. We're about 75 positions. We've usually always have a couple of vacancies here and there, so we might be at around 70 headcount. Uh, everyone uh, of those 70 are here in North Carolina. The vast majority are here at our main offices in Raleigh, but again, our work takes us all across this big state every day. We actually have a number of contractors around the world who help us in some aspect of our mission as well. So we've got boots on the ground in India, Japan, and Europe, for example, focused on trying to attract companies from those parts of the world to come set up shop in North Carolina. So uh, when you add those folks in, it's probably 85 uh, people total around the world who are out there selling and marketing North Carolina as an investment destination, as a tourism destination, and even as a, a market from which quality exports come from as our North Carolina manufacturers sell their products around the world. Well, this is highly competitive, as we've talked about, because every state wants to grow. Every state wants to increase their tax base. Every state wants to diversify. And, uh, of course, uh, we think we've got uh, the greatest story to tell. But who are our bigger competitors? Who do we find that we run into more often than, than uh, say, other states? The competition is going to vary depending on what aspect of our mission we're talking about. So tourism, we just, uh, the governor announced on Tuesday, our visitor spending numbers, which of course stem from our tourism economy uh, for 2022. And North Carolina hit a record, $33 billion in change in visitor spending attributable to tourism and visitation, people coming in and spending uh, time in our state, recreating and, and visiting all our attractions. $33 billion is is fantastic. It has bounced far off the lows that we experienced in the wake of the pandemic, and travel has come roaring back, as those numbers indicate. But we also dropped from being the fifth most visited state to the sixth most visited state because Tennessee just barely squeaked by us uh, in that ranking uh, based on number of visitors. Now, in, in that subset, Florida is one of the, of course, I think leading the pack in terms of tourism visitation. New York does uh, very well. Uh, some of the really big states do very well. But that's a very different subset of competitors than we see on something like business recruitment business recruitment where we're trying to attract manufacturing or technology or life sciences. Our competitors tend to be states like Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, uh, Texas. Uh, these are the states that we're going af up against all the time in an effort to persuade companies to locate here versus seeing them go somewhere else in the United States. So that that mix of competitors will depend on what we're what we're talking about. And then, of course, what scenarios within each of those uh, economic development functions that we're discussing as well. Well, I think we often forget uh, how important tourism is. $33 billion is an awful lot of money. 
It, it is. And it the, the primary beneficiaries of, of our tourism spending tend to be those small businesses who cater to tourists. And, and that tourism activity tends to take place. Again, we have tourism in our big cities, but you think about where most of the, the tourism assets are that people typically associate with North Carolina, our coastal regions, our mountain regions. Those do tend to fall in, in some of our more rural areas of the state that may not be attracting a corporate headquarters or a big you know, electric vehicle assembly plant, but tourism is their main economic development driver. Are we about, uh, are we ahead or behind where we were before COVID uh, set us back? Uh, from a, just a sheer numbers standpoint, we uh, we have eclipsed our the records that was set in uh, 2019, I think it was, for visitor spending. And so that, at least the numbers tell us we have bounced back and then some uh, from from pre-pandemic, which is a, a great indicator for sure. Well, that's, uh, that's always good. And of course, uh, as you said, uh, so much of that comes from out of state and sort of offset some of the spending we do in places where we visit, like Florida and so forth. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we always uh, do our best, and, and I I try to live this as much as I can, but North Carolina has just an amazing diversity of places to visit and spend time and, and make you know, just wonderful travel memories. And so I try to do that. We visit the Outer Banks a lot ourselves, and as relatively new residents of the state, we've gotten around North Carolina quite a bit in the past eight and a half years. But yes, to each and every one of your listeners, we would definitely suggest you take a look at visiting North Carolina before you venture outside of our state for any other vacation destinations. Our guest is Christopher Chung. He's the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. And we're going to talk about what companies look for when they are trying to decide whether or not to locate in North Carolina. And we will do that when we return with the next segment. And we'll do that right after these messages. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back with the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina, Christopher Chung, who's in, been in that job, uh, as we talked about, about eight and a half years now and, and has done a marvelous job of uh, uh, bringing a lot of industry to North Carolina. Christopher, let's talk a little bit about uh, what companies look for when they when they are deciding to relocate or or, or and I guess I'm talking about the big companies, 
and then we might even spend some time on what smaller companies look for. Great question. And I'll start with the second one, because I think ultimately what companies are looking for doesn't matter a whole lot, depending on the size. There's fundamental aspects of any place's business climate that are going to be important, whether you're a small company or whether you're a large company. That said, uh, there's a great survey that we like to, to point to every year. It's actually a publication that caters to our industry. And what they do every year is they go out there, they survey corporate executives and company presidents and business owners. And they basically say, hey, here are three dozen unique factors that might affect your decision on where to relocate or where to expand. And it's all the predictable characteristics, right? It's it's things like the cost of energy and highway accessibility and availability of skilled labor, proximity to universities or community colleges. But they give them three dozen of these factors and they say, hey, rank these in order of importance. And from that survey, you you get a pretty generalized picture of what matters most to the greatest number of companies. And they just released that survey for 2022 uh, about a month and a half ago. And top of the list in that survey was cost of labor. And cost of labor used to be you know, usually somewhere in the top 10, but it's been the top factor for the past couple of years now. And, and I think that some of that speaks to just the inflationary pressures that we've all experienced for the past few years. But second place this year was quality of life. And quality of life, one, is a very subjective meaning, right? I mean, Don, your definition of quality of life might be very different than mine, might be very different than the average person you, you meet walking around. All that said, quality of life, I think in this case, is shorthand for what companies see or think about a state or a community relative to their ability to attract and retain the kind of talent that they need. Again, in this very challenging environment that favors employees over employers, every company that's hiring needs to think about whether they can recruit the people they need to be successful. And logic would dictate that if you're in a place that's got greater quote unquote quality of life, it will be easier to attract and hold on to the people that you need to be successful, especially in industries where uh, maybe it's a, a higher paying type of job, it's a higher educational attainment. It's just it's even more difficult to to find people that ability to recruit them to an area where that employee is going to find themselves enjoying a really great quality of life. I think that shows why it rose from 11th most important last year up to second most important. Beyond that, you get to some of the predictable ones. Availability of skilled labor, always a top five factor. Uh, cost of energy is in the top five this year. And cost of construction, which again, uh, several of these things just reflect the inflation that we've seen across the economy over the past couple of years. Well, those that you're naming, I can. I, it would seem to me that North Carolina sort of ranks pretty high in all of those. We do. Again, it's going to depend on who we're being benchmarked against. And when you compare us with uh, a lot of the the northeastern and west coast states, yes, by far that the gap is is pretty pronounced in, in terms of any measure of cost or affordability. Uh, it, it's one reason why when we see companies that are relocating from somewhere else and and want to look at North Carolina, it's oftentimes from places like the west coast and the the northeast. Once you start comparing us to some of our surrounding states or a Texas or an Ohio, then of course the gap isn't as pronounced as it would be with the northeast and the the west coast. 
Uh, but but there again, I think North Carolina does very well. While we may not be the the cheapest among the the southeastern states like Alabama and Mississippi, cost is just one element, right? If you're also looking at the overall quality proposition, quality of the workforce, quality of the environment, quality of the business climate, all of those sorts of things. And I think we we score very very well, which is a, a big part of why we continue to be successful. I mean, just just look at CNBC last year bestowed on us for the first time in our history their top state for business and and cnbc is probably the gold standard for these third-party business climate rankings and so we're we're milking that uh award for as much visibility as we can in in this year that we've got that crown atop our head because it's just yet another way we can demonstrate to companies that north carolina has an unparalleled business climate that enables those companies to be wildly successful if they come and do business here now, I know the General Assembly has been uh, making a number of uh, changes, uh, especially in the tax situation that makes North Carolina far more competitive. Uh, when did this actually start? Because I don't think we always had that reputation for being business friendly. Uh, so my understanding, and I was not here at the time, uh, again, I think a lot of the tax reforms you're talking about had already taken effect when I moved here back in 2015. But yes, secondhand from what I hear is our corporate tax rate and, and even things like our personal income tax rate were sometimes viewed as very uncompetitive. And again, it will depend on the situation and depend on the company, but certainly all other things being equal, if you can offer the same quality of workforce, same quality of infrastructure, so on and so forth, but you're able to do so at a lower rate of taxes at a local and state level. Well, that that's ultimately a good position to be in. Again, you, you, I don't think any economic developer would say it's just about taxes. I think it's also about what companies get with that low tax rate. Are there adequate investments in education, adequate investments in infrastructure? I mean, those are the kinds of things that companies they're not so short-sighted that they just see a, a low tax rate and think, okay, that's that's sufficient. I mean, sure, there are going to be some companies that zero in on that. But generally speaking, companies recognize that if a state is under-investing in important things like education and infrastructure, well, that's probably not a great long-term situation to be in, even if if the tax rate is extremely attractive. So ultimately, this is about balance. I mean, I, I think our elected officials get that there is that need for balance. We want to make sure we're competitive when it comes to tax rates, but not at the expense of making sure that we're investing long-term in those other fundamental inputs that determine a business's success in our state. You know, one of the things I think that we in North Carolina sometimes take for granted is the very high regard that our university system and our community college system has uh, nationwide. They are both, both of those educational systems are extremely well regarded outside the state. Of course, w whether you're talking about our public post-secondary institutions like Chapel Hill, your, your alma mater, of course, NC State, uh, whether you're talking about private universities like Wake Forest, Duke, whether you're even talking about our historically black colleges and universities, which are among the best in the country, North Carolina A&T or, or Shaw University right across the street from where we are. These are all very important parts of the conversation relative to pipeline of four-year college-educated talent, which of course matters to a good number of our clients. But perhaps even more importantly is the role that those two-year community colleges play because those two-year colleges oftentimes are linking arms with existing and new industry to the state to upskill and train 
the employees that these companies who are oftentimes in manufacturing or similar industries, those community colleges are right there at the side of these companies providing customized training and upskilling resources to ensure that when people show up at these facilities, they are ready from day one to do the work that these companies expect to do in North Carolina. So we are very fortunate to have both great private and public universities, as well as this system of 58 community colleges. Everywhere you go in North Carolina, you're no further than 30 minutes away from one of these great institutions. And, and even nicer, the, the, the system of community colleges just announced that they have a new president who is uh, Jeff Cox out of Wilkes County. He's going to be helping take that uh, system even further in terms of being a, a valuable economic development asset for our state. I suspect the very wise companies, you mentioned the investment in infrastructure, I, companies that locate know they're going to be around for a long time. And if you're not making investments now, you're going to have to make them later on. So it's like that old Fram Oil commercial, pay me now or pay me later. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, I think, again, taxes are certainly part of the decision-making calculus. And then things like that survey that I mentioned point to that, the corporate tax rate, you always see that among the top 10 factors, but usually trumping tax rate is, is something like availability of skilled labor. So at the end of the day, no company can be successful without that human element to it. And so taxes, while very important, they are no more important and probably slightly less important than that access to the kind of workforce that companies need. And uh, those re that requires investments by, by local, state, and, and even national governments in ensuring that we continue to produce graduates and educated workers who can do the work of the industries of today and, and tomorrow. Very easy for me to say, because uh, I'm not in that decision of figuring out how to appropriate finite dollars, but we know what the clients that we talk to are looking for, and uh, it, it boils down to workforce. That is, that is issue one, two, and three right now for companies. How important is, you know, North Carolina is a purple state, and uh, how important is that? Does that ever become a factor where people look at it and say, wait a minute, this is, this is a well-balanced state, it's purple? I'm sure that factors into this decision. Maybe not so much for the companies themselves. I mean, companies typically operate in in all sorts of diverse environments from a political standpoint. I mean, a lot of multinational and, and certainly U.S. companies have a footprint in red states, blue states, purple states. I, I think ultimately it boils down to what is that that color, so to speak, translate into in terms of business climate policy. So, does a blue state or a red state or a purple state it doesn't really so much matter as a label, but but what kind of business climate do you get? What kind of access to talent do you get by locating those places? I will say where the purple has probably been very helpful in North Carolina's instance is that despite the normal disagreements that you get uh, between one party or the other, in recent years, the governor and the General Assembly have worked together in a truly bipartisan way to get economic development deals done. A lot of the big successes that North Carolina has attracted on the business recruitment front in the past couple of years, they, were not, they would not have been possible without legislation 
aimed at attracting those specific companies to the state, incentive packages and whatnot. And that's that's an, a much harder thing to do than people realize. And to do it across party lines, to do it between the executive and legislative branches, so much credit goes to both the governor and the General Assembly for putting aside their differences on other issues and figuring out how to win those opportunities that will ultimately benefit thousands, tens of thousands of North Carolinians for decades to come. And of course, it uh, anytime you're growing, uh, the tax base is growing as far as individual income tax, and so the state's better off with uh, more money coming in to further the growth. So that is correct. That it is, correct. is uh, uh, so you know the bottom line gets to be this is not a partisan issue, and you're exactly right. And I think that goes all the way down to the members of the General Assembly as well. Absolutely. Uh, well, we want to talk about a lot of things. And in the next segment, I want to focus a little bit on the companies that have most recently been announced and uh, some of the very large companies uh, and uh, where they stand and, and what your estimate is as far as when they will actually be working and uh, a part of the economy. Uh, and then uh, somewhere in here, I want to talk a little bit about the development of smaller companies uh, because smaller companies become larger companies if properly uh, fertilized and properly uh, uh, incentivized. Uh, our guest is Christopher Chung. He's the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina, and we will continue our conversation right after these messages. Excuse me. I know you have a nine o'clock, so I'll keep this short. I'm the business suit in the back of your closet. You wore me nearly every day before your office went, quote, casual. I used to be the CEO of your closet. Now I'm just that one intern no one ever talks to. I always thought you'd circle back with me, get granular, keep me in the pipeline. But nada, nothing. Don't you remember the McKittrick presentation? You spilled coffee on me and I still looked amazing during the breakout talkback Q&A. So I think it's time for me to move on. I've got a great resume and I absolutely crush it in interviews, okay? Let's make this a clean break. Shift the paradigm. The only thing I ask is that you think outside the box here and do this. Take me to Goodwill, where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create new jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to goodwill.org. Donate stuff. Create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Christopher Chung is our guest. He's been with us a number of times, and we always uh, love to have Christopher come with us because he is doing such a wonderful job of helping North Carolina continue to grow, not only grow, but also uh, uh, recruit such fine uh, new companies that uh, uh, are offering better opportunities uh, for our workforce in North Carolina. Um, Christopher, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, because we've had a number of large announcements in the last three or four years, sort of bring us up to date on where those companies are in their development and when they will be online and, and actually 
in some cases, actually hiring uh, a large majority of their workforce. Sure. And and as you said, there have been a lot of big names that have decided to locate major new investments in our state in, in just the past two and a half years, let alone the, the eight and a half years that we've been fortunate to be around as an organization. Uh, a few of those big names here in just the past couple of years, uh, of course, you've got Toyota, which is building its first ever electric vehicle battery manufacturing facility worldwide and those are not just outside of japan but worldwide their first dedicated plant for ev batteries building that right outside of greensboro in randolph county uh it, it is i believe what i have been told is the largest earthwork and construction project going on currently in the united states which is a pretty amazing but you wouldn't doubt that when you go out there to see that site with the amount of dirt they've moved around and, and they put up walls they're working on finishing out uh some of the initial buildings on that manufacturing campus Apple, of course, uh, made a big uh, splash a couple of years ago by announcing, uh, after some uh, delay, but announced their East Coast headquarters right in the heart of the Research Triangle Park. And again, that facility is also under construction as we speak. VinFast, which is a, a Vietnam-based manufacturer of automobiles, they had announced a big electric vehicle assembly plant in North Carolina, so just outside of Raleigh and in Chatham County. Uh, they are waiting a couple more environmental permits to come through, and then I understand they'll be ready to start construction. Uh, site work has been continuing, but uh, obviously to start building construction, you got to make sure you've got the, the right permits in hand. Wolf Speed, another huge investment from uh, announced last year. This is a Durham-based company that manufactures semiconductor materials, which largely go into the electric vehicle industry. Uh, they, of course, announced a big $5 billion plant. Uh, also in Chatham County uh, last fall. And so again, I think they're going through site work. And uh, if they haven't started building construction, we suspect that'll probably be uh, fairly uh, soon in the future. So all of these great announcements that have taken place, so they're in varying stages, but they all have their they all have their completion dates in mind. Uh, and when they plan for the first products to roll off the line, and uh, of course, that's very encouraging to see because these really are transformative investments that represent the industries of the future and that are going to represent the future economic opportunity for an entire generation of North Carolina's workforce. Now, when someone like VinFest comes in, obviously they need supplies and they need certain uh, suppliers to come up. How, how much can we expect as far as uh, enrollment of employees, can we expect from the second tier, the tier that supplies VinFest and Apple or Toyota with their needs? So, so it's going to be a little bit different. I mean, Apple's uh, East Coast headquarters, that's largely a lot of technology uh, type positions. So think a software engineer or applications development engineer. You, you might have some marketing and finance people in that mix, but largely it's going to be a lot of technology jobs. That has a very different type of spinoff or supplier effect than something like VinFast uh, or even Toyota, a, a large manufacturing facility where there's going to be components and materials that feed into that facility. The exact impact will depend on the industry and even then depend specifically on the actual company. I know that uh, for the automotive industry, there is an expectation that suppliers will cluster somewhere in relative close proximity to where the assembly plant is. It, I think you know, the, the normal multiplier, uh, which is an economics term, but two and a half jobs for every direct job 
that is created uh, by the the automotive assembly facility itself. It, that's two and a half or three. I can't remember the exact number, but but you get the point, right? There's going to be additional job creation that's spurred by the presence of the assembly plant. Same thing goes with Toyota's battery facility. Same thing goes with Boom Supersonic up in Greensboro, which is an aircraft assembly operation. Uh, these are they're definitely opportunities to extend the impact of these announcements well beyond the companies themselves. You know, one of the interesting things, and we've talked about this before, is the fact that uh, within the state of North Carolina, the three big markets, the Greensboro, Winston-Salem market, the Charlotte market, and the Raleigh market, bring such different things to the table that they're really not uh, totally competitive with each other, which I, I would imagine makes life a little easier for you. It's Yes, it, it would be probably a lot more challenging if those three regions were competing for the same deals every single time. But to your point, that isn't really something that at least I have observed. I, I don't know if that's always been the case, but certainly in the past eight and a half, nine years, that that is true. The, the three regions tend to be considered and tend to pursue very different types of, of employers. I, I think you go back to before the pandemic, it's very interesting a lot of our projects, probably 30% of the deals we were chasing at the state level at any given time were office users, as opposed to something like an industrial manufacturing facility. So think of a, a corporate headquarters or think of a tech center where people are coming in and, and doing their work in an office setting. 30% of our deals would be that type of user pre-pandemic. And they were largely looking at Raleigh, Durham, and Charlotte because those cities represented the type of population growth and demographic that those kinds of employers were most attracted to. We would try to pitch Greensboro and, and Winston-Salem uh, because that's that's fairly large metro. It just, the, the compared to Raleigh-Durham and compared to Charlotte, a lot of those companies really focused on those other two and, and really didn't give as much look at, at the triad, the, the Greensboro region, as we would have liked. But the challenge is right now, there's not a lot of those office projects looking around. So much of that has to do with hybrid and remote work. Companies are really rethinking whether they even need people in an office, let alone how much office space they actually have to take down. And that leaves cities like Raleigh, Durham, and Charlotte without a big part of their deal flow that they were very accustomed to before the, the pandemic. Whereas the Greensboro region, having a historic base of manufacturing uh, whether that's automotive or aerospace, they've done very, very well because that's where a lot of these major investments have been located, in, including companies like Toyota, uh, have located now in, in that center region of our state. Um, and we continue to see overwhelming activity in industrial and in manufacturing. We aren't seeing any office deals whatsoever at the state level. It's, it's, if we do, it's, it's a very small percentage of our total activity. It's overwhelmingly industrial, overwhelmingly advanced manufacturing. And that actually plays really well to the strengths that the Greensboro, Winston-Salem market bring to bear. It also means less of these types of office deals that that our big cities are competing for, at least in this moment in time. Well, it's an ever-shifting uh, set of challenges, I'm sure, because uh, as the economy changes, we have to be ready to change it to a moment's notice also. Uh, are we running out of dirt? Uh, because some of these uh, these sites that you were talking about, uh, like the Toyota battery plant, use a lot of ground. Are we running out of ground? Yeah, you know, for some of your listeners, uh, they may hear that, uh, and and my answer is yes. Uh, but but some of your listeners, of course, would say. 
Chris, what's the deal? I drive around North Carolina. It looks like there's there's plenty of open land, so I, I don't understand why we could be running out of it. The key here is that the types of land that these large manufacturing facilities are looking for are very specialized. One, it's you're talking hundreds, if not thousands of acres, which is a pretty big parcel to begin with. And, and then it's got to be pretty regular dimensions. It can't be this long snake-like shape or or some weird, uh, weird shape like that. It's got to be relatively square, rectangular, and then add to that topography, right? It's got relatively flat, so you're not having to, to move a lot of dirt around to begin constructing a big building. Then add to that major utility infrastructure needs, power, water, sewer. A big advanced manufacturing facility is going to consume a lot of those utilities, and you've got to be plugged in in a way where that's possible. And then last but not least, those pieces of dirt they have to be close enough to a pool of workers that can support a company that's going to come in and create two or 3,000 new jobs that are all pretty highly skilled. And by the time you apply all those filters, it's not just North Carolina, but those types of sites are becoming relatively short supply all across the Southeast and presumably the rest of the country as some of these companies like Toyota or Wolfspeed or VinFast come in and take those industrial sites for their own development, which again is great for job creation investment. But we, what we got to be thinking about is the next time a company like that approaches North Carolina, will we have a site that's ready to go on the timetable that that company is looking for? Because if the answer to that is no, we aren't going to get very far in that conversation and it's going to be a missed opportunity. It's why we are being tasked with an effort to find that next generation of mega sites, large industrial sites uh, that can accommodate this type of advanced manufacturing user. Well, that brings me to another uh, uh, aspect of uh, your job, and that is most all the things we've talked about here have to do with the, the counties in the uh, in the Piedmont Crescent. Uh, what about the other 70 counties in North Carolina that are not growing as fast and don't have as many opportunities uh, as uh, the Raleigh-Durham, Greensboro, and Charlotte markets have? Well, that's where the the shift from pre-pandemic, where 70% of our deals were industrial, but as, as high as 30, 35% were office users. Again, think about those office deals. We're not looking in all but three counties of the state, right? They were looking in Wake, Durham, and Mecklenburg counties. They weren't even looking at the triad and and some of our other bigger counties. Today, it's 95% of the deals we're chasing are industrial. So manufacturing, distribution, food processing. And those types of deals typically favor less urban, more rural locations, certainly at least on the periphery of a, of a metro region, if not even further out into a rural area. So I think our rural communities are getting a lot more opportunities to attract new industry and jobs simply due to the change in the mix of projects that are looking for a new location. Uh, you, you take somewhere like Wilson County. Uh, back in December, Wilson announced uh, a big new investment by an Israeli-based food technology company called Believer Meats. Uh, Believer is focused on what's called cell-cultured meat, so meat products grown in a laboratory as opposed to harvested from a, a cow, a chicken, or a pig. It is one of the ways that the world will need to feed itself without straining the agricultural system and the environment to produce meat products. It's a fascinating technology, but Wilson's going to be the beneficiary of that first wave of investment. Over in Asheville, Pratt & Whitney uh, has already opened up a brand new aircraft engine components facility, highly advanced manufacturing plant uh, that's going to employ 800 skilled individuals. Over on the coast in New Bern, um, 
uh, Bass Pro Shops. They they make their own boats that they sell in their stores through their White River Marine subsidiary. Uh, they opened up a brand new saltwater boat craft manufacturing plant uh, a couple of years ago. So these are just a few of the other examples. Uh, Siemens Mobility, making passenger rail cars for Amtrak, announced a brand new plant in Lexington, uh, North Carolina, in in uh, Davidson County just a couple of months ago. So just a few of the examples of big names that are investing all across North Carolina, not just in the Piedmont Crescent, not just in our major metro areas. And uh, you alluded earlier to the film industry, which is also... A big part of the economy nowadays. Yeah, good year. 2021 was a record year for us in terms of film and TV production spend in North Carolina. I think something north of 440 million. Uh, a good year last year. Certainly uh, hard to beat 2021. Uh, 2023 is is off to a strong start so far, uh, both in terms of some mid-budget feature films as well as some TV series, uh, TV series programs. Uh, I think this uh, new movie, uh, it's based on a Judy Bloom novel. Uh, I think it's called Are you, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. It's a very popular popular uh, work of, of fiction for the for, for kids uh, but that the movie version of that of course filmed in North Carolina uh, and is out in theaters right now so yes that is another way that we are able to bring new economic activity and spending into North Carolina is when we successfully recruit those film and TV productions to Wilmington Charlotte and other parts of our state our guest is Christopher Chung we have one final segment coming up and we want to talk about your annual report. Uh, and uh, we'll do that after we take time out for some messages. Again, our guest is Christopher Chung, CEO of Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. We'll be right, right back after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon... There's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. And we're back with Carolina Newsmakers guest, Christopher Chung the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina, the public-private partnership that uh, handles the uh, economic development for the state, working with the Department of Commerce and uh, and also uh, the uh, Business and, and uh, Industry Committee uh, community across the state. Uh, we've had a great program, and if you have missed some of the segments, you might want to go back and listen to the rest of them because it's a very bright picture. Uh, 
you uh, just finished your 22 annual report and there's a lot of data in there. Uh, what, why don't you sort of bring us up to date on, on uh, what was in that report and how, uh, how many jobs were created and so forth? Sure. Well, it was a record year. Uh, we knew that at the time for our business recruitment and expansion teams. And again, these are the the groups within the EDPNC. They work with companies that are either thinking about locating here or that are here already, but thinking about further expanding their presence. And through a, a combination of a 150 some odd unique projects where, again, each of those projects involves a company that's either coming here or, or expanding here. That resulted in a record amount of job creation announcements, uh, north of 26,000, I believe it was, for, for 2022. And, and that's that's wonderful by, by any measure. I think when these jobs get announced by these companies, they're not just numbers on a page. That is some new opportunity for someone to get a better job or to get a job in general across a lot of different growth sectors that are a key part of our state's economy, whether that's clean energy electric vehicles, aerospace, textiles, uh, life sciences, and biopharma. It's, it's, it's a great story, not just for the numbers, but, but more importantly, what that means to the people in these communities where these companies are planning to invest and hire dozens, hundreds, thousands uh, of new employees. As we talked about at the, the, the top of the program, we, we didn't know it at the time, but 2022 has also turned out to be a record year for tourism in North Carolina, which is also a very important driver for a lot of our communities from the coast to the mountains and, and lots of places in between. But 33 billion of, of visitor spending, which went into our, our tourism economy, many of which is much of which is supported by small business owners, 33 billion that visitors spent all across North Carolina in 2022. And while we didn't have that data and time to include in our 2022 annual report, it's still a representation of the banner year that 2022 was for economic development in general in North Carolina. You know, we talk about the Rust Belt, uh, Rust Belt states uh, having their problems but North Carolina did a unique turnaround also, and I don't think we give ourselves enough credit because if you go back maybe 30 years, we had furniture manufacturing, textiles, cigarette manufacturing, and agriculture. And uh, none of those are big factors anymore. We have replaced them with better paying jobs, more high tech jobs, and that's, uh, uh, that's an interesting transformation. What do you attribute that to? Well, I think industry is always evolving. Uh, so while while we I, we still do have textile, furniture, tobacco companies uh, in North Carolina, but they look very different to your point from what they would have uh, looked like 30, 40, 50 years ago in terms of headcount, uh, the use of technology. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it's one of those things where every industry is going to evolve. Uh, and of course, the way the economy is built on industries, that will also change over time. I mean, you take something like uh, the automotive industry right now. I was just talking with a colleague at lunch today. It's a fascinating time to be in economic development because so much of what we are chasing after on the business recruitment side involves things like the electrification of vehicles. That is a fundamental shift that is redefining today's auto industry. And we happen to to have a front seat to that 
in the economic development profession because as companies shift from making gas-powered vehicles to electric vehicles, they're going to have to figure out where to assemble those electric vehicles, and they have to figure out where to build the batteries and all the components that go into EV as opposed into a gas-powered vehicle. And those companies, again, need to figure out where they're going to make that stuff. And we have a chance to convince those companies that North Carolina is the best possible place for that kind of activity. And so that's just yet another example how economies and industries, they constantly change and grow over time. Our job in economic development is, is try to capitalize on these unique moments like what we have with the EV sector and win as much of that investment and job creation as possible because those industries will be here and define our state's economy for the next quarter century and, and probably well beyond that. The General Assembly is in session, and uh, is there any legislation that is uh, currently being considered that will affect uh, your work for the next year? Well, there, you know, we 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 don't lobby. We uh, we we try to keep an eye out for any legislation. More in the context of do will companies that are looking at North Carolina ask us about pending legislation that that they may care about? So it's always good for us to be mindful of that. I, I will say that over the past few years, what we have seen nationwide is that companies are increasingly sensitive to legislation that falls in the realm of, of what people would call social legislation or social policy. And it, it's not that companies all uniformly believe in one side of those issues or the other, but, but I think companies, in our experience, they're looking at that from a talent lens. They're basically rationalizing that, look, I'm, I'm in an industry where I need to hire the best. And where I go will dictate whether I can hire the best people I need for my industry. And if a state or a community is seen by those prospective new employees as a great place to live, uh, that's very welcoming or very diverse or very inclusive, generally companies give a, a few more points to that than, than a place that their potential employees may see as restrictive or uh, perhaps not as welcoming. I mean, again, this is feedback we, we get from companies and that we get from the consultants who advise those companies. Again, this is a very challenging environment that favors employees. And so if you're a company that's trying to recruit the best and the brightest, you're going to probably make a, a location decision at least strongly on the basis of where you think you can recruit the best and the brightest. And, and that ultimately, I think, ties back to the kinds of policies and legislation that make a place attractive to as many people as possible. And I think that's why issues around social policy, social legislation have become much more relevant to economic development than at any point I can recall in, in 26 years of doing this work. Of course, that's the sort of thing that we we like to just let a, legislators know about uh, in terms of what we're hearing from companies or their consultants so that legislators can make whatever decisions they feel best balance the needs of their constituents versus the needs of the state. Um, but it, it isn't something that uh, we can risk ignoring. I mean, it's a very much a reality that's baked into how companies decide where to locate. And, and I think at, at, at the very least, our obligation is to make sure that our policymakers, our legislators, our government officials are aware of what we are hearing from companies. And then, of course, we've got to trust the process is going to yield the best possible combination of, of policies that will continue to keep North Carolina an attractive place for business as well as for talent. You know, the average person in North Carolina thinks of colleges and universities as a, a place of 
teaching undergraduates. But the truth of the matter is we have three of the best right in the triangle as far as getting federal grants for research. And that's so important. We have UNC Chapel Hill, NC State, and Duke, who uh, almost every year bring in huge amounts of research dollars. And that uh, has to be something that uh, companies look at. It certainly is. Uh, universities, again, like we talked about earlier, represent a pipeline for talent. They also represent a potential partnership on innovation. And both of those things are important. But but let's not forget that there's also a lot of money going out, uh, especially at the federal level right now, to spur American innovation and industry uh, at, at levels we've not seen historically. And some of our universities in the state have been big beneficiaries. Those three, of course, but North Carolina A&T. Uh, of course, very instrumental in our state's economy, but they spearheaded the effort to land about 25 million in federal funding through the U.S. Department of Commerce, which is really going to help shape our workforce, our future workforce for the clean energy economy. So that's just yet another example to your point of how our state's universities are leveraging federal dollars in a way that will ultimately benefit North Carolina's economy for, for the years to come. We uh, talked a little bit about this earlier in the program, and that is that every time a plant or a manufacturer locates, they need supplies. Uh, how, if if I'm very entrepreneurial and I want to start a new business, uh, where do they go to find out what the needs are so that an entrepreneur might say, hey, wait a minute, I think that might be a business I might be interested in? So I think one of the best ways is, of course, when these new companies come in, yeah, if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm I'm going to say, oh wow, Toyota's building a big battery plant, or or Wolf Speed is building this new uh, semiconductor materials plant. I wonder if I can sell them a particular product or service. And I think a good place to begin is uh, usually with that local chamber of commerce in whatever community that big company is coming into, because these companies end up once they once they build the facility and get going operationally, they want to be part of that community. They usually will have someone responsible for community relations and engagement. And I think many of them would like to source as much of their purchases and procurement from local providers as they can. That is part of that community engagement that many of these companies strive to, to do. And so I think getting those introductions through a local chamber uh, would be one of the ways that I would advise entrepreneurs if, if they're interested in selling into some of these new companies that are putting down roots in our state. Well, this is probably an unfair question because I know a lot of this information has to remain uh, confidential. Are you excited about next year? Or do you have some projects working that uh, might very well turn out to be big ones? Uh, we are. I mean, we're, we're sitting on 240, give or take, active projects right now, again, involving recruiting companies to the state or working with existing expansions. And, and those 240 deals represent tens of thousands of potential jobs, tens of billions in potential investment. We're a little bit of off pace of where we would like to be. Again, we set very aggressive targets for 2023, considering that 21 and 22 were record years for us. Uh, with We'll have to pick up the pace the next uh, seven and a half months to hit our targets for 23. But the, the nice thing is our pipeline, the, the deals that are sitting in there, give us every opportunity to do that if we can win uh, the numbers that we want. But yes, going forward, 
both in terms of the quantity and quality of projects that we get a chance to go after, the term, the types of industries that those projects represent, uh, as well as most importantly, the fundamentals that North Carolina continues to offer as a business location. I- I'm very optimistic. It's a great state. We know that businesses believe that because they continue to flock here. We've just got to make sure that we continue to keep our foot on the gas and keep winning these deals for North Carolina. Well, Christopher, on behalf of all of North Carolina, thank you so much for what you're doing as head of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. And uh, as always, our program has been produced by Jason Kong, who promises me we'll have another interesting guest on on tap for next week's edition of the program. So we'll look forward to seeing you then. Till next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.